Welcome to the serialized podcast edition of Paper Arrows, a presentation in six episodes of my master's thesis in geography at the University of California, Berkeley, based on field research I conducted in Honduras in 2000 and 2001. I am the author and narrator, Daniel Graham. Episode 1. Preface. In this episode, I lay out a case for paying attention to peasants' stories, especially those that bear on questions of territory and territoriality. I also do some signposting for what to expect as my own narrative unfolds. Among people who enjoy collecting small, weak, and apparently hapless countries, Honduras is a crowd favorite. Honduras is, they will say, the quintessential banana republic. The place where Kathy Lee Gifford had her sweatshop. That poor country laid to waste by Hurricane Mitch. While it would be absurd to deny Hondurans over-familiarity with failure and suffering, this paper reflects a conviction on my part that the naturalization of a connection between Honduras and hopelessness abets the forces that lend that simplification its credibility. It is not only insufficient to write off Honduras and its inhabitants as beyond redemption. Such under-analytical treatment of the country's immiseration also gives cover to the actors and processes that have carved the contours of this dismal topography, and that profit by it. At the same time, it effaces and undercuts the dynamics of contestation that are always unfolding. To a large extent, Honduras's physical terrain is both the primary object and, often but not always, the principal site of contestation among peasants, elites, and agencies of the central state. About half the country's population depends directly on subsistence or small-scale commercial agriculture for its livelihood. It bears asking... It bears asking why so many Honduran peasants find themselves struggling for their very existence in this sparsely populated, resource-rich country. It is also worth inquiring what these peasants are doing about it. To this end, I submit a story that strives to show some of the ways that peasants and their various antagonists square off in struggles over land and land-based resources in Honduras's east-central department, province, of Olancho. As this paper will illustrate, contests over land and natural resources in Honduras are also struggles over meaning, struggles to define self and other, and what it means to be properly Honduran. To some extent, in some cases, the meanings produced in fights waged over land and resources can be seen as epiphenomenal, as byproducts of these struggles. Nevertheless, they are also important in their own right. This is true in part because of their persistence over time and their instrumental efficacy in staking material claims, but also because meanings are internalized by actors and can themselves become objects of fierce contestation. That is, land becomes a repository of individual and group identity, and control over land becomes central to the defense of metaphysical as well as material values. 
Because of the centrality of land to all parties in these material and symbolic struggles, I see the concepts of territory and territoriality as critical to an examination of the political economy of the region and to questions of meaning and identity. My attention then gravitates towards instances of territoriality throughout the narrative that follows. Geographer Robert David Sack gives us the most commonly cited definition for territoriality. Quote, Territoriality in humans is best understood as a spatial strategy to affect, influence, or control resources and people by controlling area. And, as a strategy, territoriality can be turned on and off. End quote. Sack, 1986. In casting territoriality in the way he does, that is, characterizing it as a strategy, Sack performs a territorial, and yes, strategic, move of his own, rescuing human agency from the clutches of sociobiologists with their analogs to the non-human animal world. Read, Blind Instinct. However, human territoriality seems to arise in Honduras as a fairly predictable, though not the only, response to perceived and real attempts to strip peasants of their access to land and land-based resources, that is, to the means of production, which is, of course, also their means of survival. It is not always obvious that the peasants' territorializing actions are precisely strategic. At times, territoriality arises as an effect of peasant self-expression. Self-expression which is always political, but not always cynical or planned. As regards the question of territoriality, it seems a middle course can be charted between explanations that dwell on dirge-like structure and those invoking euphoric agency. After suffering centuries of abuse based largely on attributions of place-based inferiority, Olanchanos have in some instances been able to turn this imputed and real connection to their land to their own advantage. Without resorting to romantic notions of an essential organic society with an inbred aversion to capitalism or the state, we can assert that Olanchano peasants have taken up their weapons of the weak in defense of a moral economy that, under the circumstances, represents the best of several quite limited options. Chief among the weapons in their arsenal are the cultural and moral articulations the peasants have scavenged from the midden of their own marginalization and turned back upon their enemies. This use of the word articulation, which I borrow from Stuart Hall by way of Tanya Murray Lee, recognizes group's capacity to coalesce around, quote, broad constellations of shared or compatible interests and mobilize social forces across a broad spectrum, end quote. Lee, 2000. At the same time, this formulation insists that articulation is not anything goes. Rather, quote, articulations are limited and prefigured by the fields of power or places of recognition which others provide, end quote. Lee, 2000, citing Hall, 1995. In the case of Olanchano peasants, their identity as campesinos a category that includes peasants and rural wage laborers, and indeed as Olanchanos, has been largely determined by the overall social relations of production that attain in Honduras. My thesis talks about how the campesinos of Olancho have taken up the shards of their several partial identities and fashioned them into defensive weapons to protect their embattled existence. 
The body of this thesis consists of two parts, each of which is divided into two sections. Running throughout the thesis is the theme of peasant resistance and contestation. The primary axis of contestation explored here is the one between the denizens of the municipality of Gualaco Olancho on the one hand and the Honduran central state on the other. A second axis, every bit as important as the first but not as heavily emphasized in this text, runs between peasants and local and regional elites. Part 1, which I have called Otherness, discusses the marginalization of the peasants of Olancho by the Honduran central state and the peasants' response to this marginalization. The first section aims to introduce the reader to Olancho and trace the history of the region's ambivalent role within Honduras's national imaginary. As we will see, the Spanish crown and the Honduran central state that later succeeded to power painted Olanchanos as lazy ne'er-do-wells, unworthy of their place as stewards of the land they inhabited. This trope of sloth was coupled with an unlikely second attribute, that of savage lawlessness. The degree of opprobrium that representatives of the state reserved for Olanchanos has historically co-varied, at least roughly, with the resistance demonstrated by the latter group to state-initiated attempts at surplus extraction. In this putative land of plenty, Olanchanos thus came to symbolize both lethargy and barbarity. The second section is a vignette wherein campesinos tell stories about a local social bandit named Canuto, whom they regard as a latter-day Robin Hood, thus reversing the polarity on the valorization given to the pejorative essentialisms that the central state had long since attached to Olanchanos. Part 2. Betrayal explores the consequences for subordinated groups of trying to negotiate with a weak central state. It also demonstrates the limited effectiveness of peasants' attempts to seek post hoc redress of their grievances when the state reneges on its promises. Section 3 focuses on the contested creation of Sierra de Agalta National Park in the mountains of southern Gualaco and serves as a prelude to Section 4, in which I offer reportage of a fierce fight over the construction of a hydroelectric facility in the Gualaco hamlet of El Ocotal. In each section of the body of the thesis, my intent is to help the reader gain a flavor for life and politics in the region. As long and occasionally ungainly as this paper is, it is necessarily selective in the detail it provides. At every point I have tried to highlight moments that bear on themes pertinent to territoriality and articulation, at times digressing to illuminate what I consider important contextual factors. Throughout the body of the paper, I leave it mainly to the reader to draw the appropriate inferences, which I then speak to in the conclusion. It will not be difficult for the reader to discern where the author's sympathies lie. From my first days as a Peace Corps volunteer, 1996 to 98, I have felt a close connection with the countryside and people of Olancho, Honduras. Although I have made friends among both campesinos and cattle ranchers in the area, I feel the skewed distribution of land, wealth, and status in Honduras is deeply unjust. The legacies of patronismo and colonialism more generally militate against attempts made by peasants and policymakers alike to solve the pressing problems of the country. My positionality comes through both in my selection of peasants as the subjects of my research and, no doubt, in my writing. Nevertheless, I have tried to collect and present data in a fair way. 
This paper shows the peasants with all their warts and inconsistencies and also takes pains to prize open the black box of the state to show the complexities of its structure and contradictory mandates and motivations. It also introduces characters, for example, the mayor of Gualaco, who challenge simple binaries such as state and society, campesino and landed elite. This writing project, in short, strives to preserve some of the messiness of life on the ground, even when this may come at the cost of tidy, well-distilled theory. My hope is that the balance struck is a good one. I have also had to strike a balance with respect to the disclosure of sensitive information. Tensions in Olancho are high, and people can die for their words. For that reason, it has been difficult to determine whether and how to cite and attribute statements and actions of the principal informants and actors in my research. In some cases, interviewees specifically requested that I do include their real name. Since their enemies already know who they are, goes the reasoning, isn't it better that the whole world should know too? In other cases, though anonymity would probably be preferable, participant statements and their names appear in print in the sources I cite. In light of these considerations, I have tried to take a cautious but realistic approach. Public officials and other participants' public printed statements and actions are reported without an attempt by me to disguise the identity of the authors of those statements. In addition, I give the real names of an engineering company, Energisa, and one of its top employees. I have also not obscured the identities of certain people who are already well-known in the area, for instance those of a murdered man and his immediate family. Though I have also been careful not to provide potentially injurious or controversial details about them. In all other cases, I have changed the names and some other identifying characteristics of the participants. I do include some photographs of public demonstrators, but I feel confident that my inclusion of them will not pose any risk to the subjects of those pictures. In one photograph, I thought it prudent to obscure the faces of two subjects, and I did so. They will probably wish that I had not pixelated their images, but better safe than sorry. <laughs>